0: I'm Nikki Kristoff, and welcome to Techdub. Today, I'm chatting to Senator Mark Warner, who joins the pod from his office on Capitol Hill. He has a bonker schedule, so this is a quick episode, and we dive right into it. We discussed last year's passage of the CHIPS Act, his intention to introduce bipartisan legislation to reduce the harms of TikTok, and he ignores my joke about his staff getting him a birthday gift of a necklace made out of semiconductors in the shape of Virginia. And yes, I then called his staff a bunch of nerds. Before becoming a public servant, Senator Warner built an incredibly successful telecommunications company and worked as a venture capitalist. He knows tech and as chairman of the critically important Select Committee on Intelligence, he also knows a lot about threats to the U.S. I'm so grateful that he took the time to come on the show to talk to us about both topics. Welcome. Today on Tech Up, we have a special guest, Senator Mark Warner from the Commonwealth of Virginia. Welcome, Senator. Nikki, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for coming on i know literally nothing's happening over on capitol hill so i joke you're the chairman of senate intel there's a lot happening and we are here to talk today about an issue that is tech related but also also very national security related so let's just dig into it but before we do really quickly Your background is in tech, and I used to be at big tech companies, and one of the things we always liked about you and your staffers is you understood the tech. So just one sentence on where you were before you joined the Senate and what your priorities are as a senator.
1: Great. I appreciate that. Yeah, I spent, for failing miserably, in a couple of businesses, my third try was in the very beginnings of the cell phone industry. I went on to form, found a company named Nextel, and then a venture capital fund. Called Columbia Capital. I'm proud that Columbia Capital is is still in existence and I think one of on our third generation, so I'm proud of that, although obviously no involvement. And within the tech world, I really have for this Congress, I have three items that I'm gonna to quickly touch on. First is I've been working since the 2016 election world. I really got exposed to the level of misinformation, disinformation, Russian bots, et cetera. That while the social media companies are great companies, that there's a dark underbelly in the fact that Congress has never taken on anything from the basic privacy laws to data portability, interoperability, to questions around Section 230 reform, to protecting our kids. Revisiting that framework around social media is, I think, still terribly important. And I actually agree this coming year we might surprise people and put some points in. Second, I see this a lot from the position of the Intelligence Committee, the questions around cybersecurity, and in particular, while I think we've made some progress, the whole intersection between healthcare and cybersecurity. I was just recently at the CES show in Las Vegas, and probably next to Autos, there were more healthcare apps there. Yet, it still feels to me like we are, in terms of cybersecurity, we are bolting on cybersecurity onto our healthcare system rather than developing healthcare solutions that have cybersecurity baked in. And that gets into the whole question of legacy items, it gets into privacy, but it is a, the, the current disorganization chart of 17 federal agencies touching different parts of healthcare and cybersecurity is a mess. And third, but third is far and away the most important, and I, I hope where we can spend some of this conversation, and that is the technology competition with China. Um, 20 years ago, I was part of the traditional theory that the closer you bring China into World Trade Organization, other international forum, the more that China is going to become like the rest of the world. And I think we were wrong. And and let me be clear, this is not just politically correctness, but it's what I deeply feel is, my beef is not with the Chinese people. My beef is with the Communist Party. It's Xi Jinping's authoritarian leadership. And and if we don't make that clear, we play into the Chinese propaganda issues in terms of bias against you know, the Chinese diaspora anywhere, against Asian-Americans. But I do think this competition with China, and because you know, I, I'm of an age where we used to compete with the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union was a military threat and an and a ideological threat. It was never an economic threat. It was never really a technology competitor. China very much is. And so we've our My Intelligence Committee, and I'm proud of it's bipartisan, work. the first to sh- spot out problems with Huawei and 5G. John Cornyn and I led the efforts on the chips bill. So my hope is that, in my role as chairman of the Intelligence Committee, we're going to look at the other technology domains where this country needs to invest. So we don't do, in the case of chips and 5G, where we were chasing the problem after there was already a Chinese leader. So I'm going deep on advanced energy across a series of, We'll come back to that if you'd like synthetic biology, artificial intelligence. Where will we need to get ahead of the game so that we and our friends around the world don't end up with a the Chinese Communist Party regime winning the day in, in these technology competitions?
0: I really appreciate you saying it about the, the CCP the Chinese Communist Party versus the people living in a totalitarian state. I don't think that's just politically correct. It's there's almost, in my opinion, this may not be your opinion, but even saying president. G indicates that there's an election, which there's not. Which I mean, that was, that was, that was his job. Like it's the same job. It's just a different title. And so I think 20 years ago, I was where you are, which thinking that we'd bring elements of capitalism in and that would open up democracy, which has not at all happened. And one of the things that I think is relevant, you talked about 5G, you talked about Huawei. We know there's an enormous, I mean, almost, jaw-dropping IP theft problem happening with sort of corporate espionage. That's an issue. But when you think about national security, it's interesting you mentioned economics and you mentioned the side of it, which is investing in U.S. technology. And we let's talk for a minute about semiconductors and the CHIPS Act. And before everybody listening like groans and are bored about it, I think this is not Senator Warner's position. I think you should take all listeners, all of your anxiety about plastic in the oceans and transfer it to anxiety about chips. <laughs> where are we well, with chips?
1: Well, one where we are is that, man, it shouldn't have taken a couple of years to get this done, but just quickly top line. And, and your audience is sophisticated enough to know that you know, there is no device that has an on and off switch. that doesn't have some semiconductor components. And as we think about a more connected world based upon IoT connected devices, they're all going to have semiconductor. We used to, as in so many areas, dominate this field. We, of all the chips were made in and in the 90s. That has almost gone down to about 12% in terms of cutting edge chips, the the most advanced chips that goes into our fighter jets, satellites, advanced technology devices. We don't make any of them. They're all made in Taiwan. And so you've got this rise of China producing their own set of chips. You've got Taiwan with its geopolitical uncertainty making virtually all the advanced chips in many cases, for the whole world, out of TSMC, um, and we have this situation where we were having nation after nation make major investments in trying to to build semiconductor businesses. You know, Taiwan has, Korea has, Japan has. You know, over the last year, while we waited to get chips passed, I mean, this was one of the things that finally drove a lot of my colleagues to say it's time to get off our butts and get this bill passed. Is the Europeans literally had no chips initiative back a year and a half ago when the Senate first passed chips. In the ensuing year, the Germans managed to put $8 billion into Intel to give a, a Intel fabrication fab in, in Germany. And when I pointed out, when the European bureaucrats can beat American at getting something done, that ought to be a wake-up call. So <laughs> this is about For
0: sure. jobs. For sure.
1: It's about jobs. It's about national security. It's about, you know, how we build these alliances with our friends around the world. And, you know, the the CHIPS investment is $52 billion in R&D and direct subsidies. There's another $25 billion on top of that in terms of tax credits with the investment tax credit. So this is a, I know it used to be called a dirty word in industrial policy, but this is quasi-industrial policy where while we don't pick an individual company to pick winners and losers, I'm against that as a hardcore capitalist and venture capitalist. But you do have to pick domains. And this was an area where we were rapidly losing that edge. And without this kind of investment, I think it was going to be a downward spiral. Now, making sure these dollars are invested correctly, there's never been a case of where the rubber hits the road. and implementation is more more important in this area. And I am very glad that I think the star of the Biden cabinet, Gino Raimondo, is going to be the person in charge of that.
0: She is a star. I agree. I'm also a hardcore capitalist, although it's falling out of vogue among younger younger Americans. But I'm still there. And it's a national security issue, because if everything that we own runs on a supply chain, which was fragile just from the pandemic. But if you also look at the geopolitics of it, we we absolutely must have some homegrown chips. You I don't want to accuse you of having the nerdiest office in the United States Senate, but I did hear about your birthday gift. I'm a party, you know. I, I'm a little yeah, I I I'm guilty
1: as charged. But you know, it's it's particularly as somebody who wasn't a tech investor. I mean being able to at least get past the buzzwords to try to drill down on some of these issues is is you know exciting. It's also, you know, this issue, both the combination of China and technology competition is still one of the few that remain truly bipartisan issues. You know, and a lot of these issues don't fall on the conservative, the liberal You know, continuum. It's much more kind of a future past. And America's always been its best when it's been future leading. And then, you know, I think there's a a lot we can do to reestablish the need. This gets back into the nerdy category, so much more big picture. The thing that scared the Dickens out of me as much as almost anything was not only back with Huawei winning the 5G contest. And I say this as somebody who was in the wireless industry, so I'm particularly nerdy here. China was also flooding the zone on all of these standard-setting bodies. One of the things that's kind of been a secret sauce in terms of America's success, literally since Sputnik, is with virtually every technology innovation, even if it wasn't invented in America, we got to set the rules, the standards, the protocols. We did that in wireless, we did it in satellite, we did it in TV. You name software. China woke up to that and... In 5G, for example, in the next generation wireless, they were not only had the world's leading company, but they were starting to set the rules. We've seen that as well in terms of China investing in a lot of the forums around artificial intelligence. And boy, you do not want an authoritarian, you know, non-privacy protected you know, regime setting the rules for AI on a going forward basis. So one of the things we do, we also need to do is make sure both public sector, private sector, and our friends around the world re-engage not only on innovation, but then the rules that surround each of these innovations.
0: Right. not I mean, and not just America first, but sort of a democracy and a place with a rule of law running some of these things. I passed the official clock with my young cousin at the Naval Observatory. I said, that's the official time. And she said, oh, is that Apple's headquarters? <laughs> <laughs> But no, Amen. it's not Amen. Amen. Yeah. It's not. So let's quickly you we've talked about China, we've talked about the importance of chips and making sure that we're leaders in that, making huge investments which I agree with in AI and sort of getting on the leading front foot on a lot of these innovations. One thing that I know you sort of it, it stopped me in my tracks a little bit to see the headline you said that there was one thing Donald Trump was right about and it was TikTok. So I'd love to talk a little bit about TikTok and what you see as potentially a national security concern and how the government should address it? Because people, Americans, love TikTok. Young Americans love it. What do we do? What do you think? Wow.
1: Great question. And and remember, this is not the first time we've had to grapple with this. I remember being on the Intelligence Committee and reading about Kaspersky, the Russian-based software firm that was clearly a national security risk. And we were selling it on GSA, the the government's preferred vendor. It took us years to get dispersed kiosks. Huawei, you know, which is the wireless provider. Huawei is is a, if you you want to have a really scary overlay, and this is in the public domain. If you look at where Huawei has sold their equipment and where our intercontinental ballistic missile sites are, it's almost a complete overlay. And uh, that if it doesn't scare you, it should.
0: tip I did not know that. That was chilling
1: mean, it's pretty chilling. And you know why we're out now spending a lot of money doing what's called rip and replace. We're actually literally taking the equipment out because that call that routes from St. Louis to Los Angeles, if it routes to Beijing, chances are people might be scraping your data. TikTok, I was, you know, again, it's, it was hard for me to acknowledge, but Donald Trump was right. And at first, I didn't fully appreciate what I think are the dual threats coming out of TikTok. On one level, there is the fact that this data is being collected. And as you said, Nikki, one of the things that's fairly remarkable, I mean, the guesstimates are that 100 million active users in America, 65 million of which are active users in a level of 95 minutes a day. That's like, holy heck. And there is a, an enormous amount of data that is, being, that is being collected. Maybe not as much as Facebook, but still, even though TikTok which is owned by the Chinese holding company ByteDance, says that American data is protected. We have seen press report after press report that Chinese engineers are still giving access to this. And remember, Chinese law as of 2016 dictates, dictates that any company at the end of the day has to follow the orders of the Communist Party, not be loyal to their shareholders, not be loyal to their customers. They have to follow the dictates of the Communist Party of China. in Meaning sharing data. That, so that data... Even, no matter how it's said it's being protected, I think is more. That is a is an easy to understand concern. But the concern that almost, that, that, again, I am way to fully appreciate, but I think is equal or even greater to greater than, which is TikTok is really a communications medium. It is a network. If you're left in this country, like MSNBC, or if you're right in this country, you're like Fox, what TikTok, why say it's a network? TikTok leadership does not, you know, create the videos, but the algorithms that that drive TikTok, that drive what you see, is very much determined by the company. And the greatest example of that is the TikTok that young Chinese people see inside China has videos, the algorithm drives it towards science and engineering, towards being a good, you know, a, a good citizen, totally positive reinforcing messages. Unfortunately, the, the TikTok that a lot of our kids see is like crack. It, you know, the kids it, it does not support the best, you know, goals. And I'm not saying everything on TikTok. There's a lot of creativity on TikTok, but I am, I am very concerned that the Communist Party in China could say, "Well, we on TikTok, we don't want to show videos anymore that are at all critical." of China. and matter of fact, we may want to skew a little more of these videos to also you know, say not very nice things about the United States. This is why we, we acknowledge that it it's popular. Remember, the armed forces, our military has said they will not allow TikTok on active duty service people's devices. We've now seen a number of states move in the same direction. The United States Congress in a bipartisan way unanimously passed to say we don't want TikTok on federal employees' devices. So, this is a, this is a real issue and a problem. And I think what uh, we've kind of sort of through, I've given the Biden administration about two years. They say, Hey, there's a tech, there is a technology way to fix this. My patience has kind of run thin. We've not seen a, a technology way to fix it. So I am looking at, at some legislation that might not invite retaliation, but I, I think we need a frame. And my hope is in the next couple of weeks, I'll be able to put out some ideas. And again, this is. Broadly bipartisan Senator Rubio, my partner on Intel has already got legislation. Mike Gallagher, the Republican member from Wisconsin, who's heading up now a special committee out of the house on China has got some legislation. So I do think there's a way to sort through this, but it's, I also recognize that we have to make the case so that it doesn't appear arbitrary to literally the millions of young Americans who are pretty, pretty dependent and really love their, their, their TikTok accounts.
0: They do. So I know we're closing out, but just to recap what you said. So in addition to the data collections, the facial recognition, the data it could be pulling off your phone that that the company is required to share with the Chinese Communist Party, setting aside just national security. Users in yes. the United States are spending 95 minutes a day on an app. Making their brains into gummy bears, potentially. <laughs> that alone seems like not super healthy. And one thing I think is interesting is it leads with the for you page. Whereas on Instagram, you go to the people you follow first. On TikTok, you immediately go to what the algorithm is pushing, which to your point, it's a communications network. It could be used for propaganda.
1: Amen. And Nikki, you, you absolutely, you sort of, you know, in a shorter version than me, I guess that's why I'm still the politician. It takes me too long to say, but it's, I don't think most policy have thought that, through. I don't think most parents have said, well, this is harmless. Kids get to do videos and and dancing, fun things. This is an extraordinarily powerful tool. And I'm not saying right now that the CCP, the Communist Party of China, is is blasting out propaganda. But I will say this. I mean, the ability to do that, and again, go back to the fact, look at what the kids in China are getting on their equivalent TikTok accounts versus where our kids are seeing. That shows the power of the algorithms in terms of how they can drive certain content.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, I am looking forward to your legislation. I know you're walking out the door. You're truly known for working across the aisle on tech solutions that are rooted in practical outcomes. So we're delighted to have you in the Senate and thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Well, Nikki, thank you for having me. And please have me back. There's lots more we can cover.
0: Yeah, we'll talk dark patterns, another favorite of yours.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Tune in to our next episode for a conversation with former congressman and presidential candidate John Delaney, who also knows a thing or two about tech. We talk about his time in government and his return to the private sector, where he's working on financing projects focused on decarbonization. As always, thanks for listening and subscribing to this pod.